please open up to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2 today from verse 13 through to 16. Uh, So glad that you can be worshipping wherever you are. And uh, let's just get straight into the text tonight. Chapter 2, verse 13 in 1 Thessalonians. It reads like this. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, and they killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. May God bless the reading and hearing of his inerrant, inspired, divine scripture this evening. Well, we've, we've seen in First Thessalonians that the gospel came in the book of Acts, chapter 17, to Thessalonica through Paul, Silas, and Timothy. The gospel spread. It was opposed by the Jews of the town. They, they had to leave that city after much opposition, and they then went on in their mission. Since then, Paul, being a few cities away now, has not seen the Thessalonians and sends Timothy up to figure out how they are going. And upon hearing back from Timothy that they are going well, they are being persecuted, they are being beaten, they are being opposed, yes, but their faith is flourishing. They are walking with Christ. They are believing the word that we spoke. Well, we saw what the arrival of the gospel really looks like in its power. We looked at, uh, at the end of verse, uh, chapter 1, the, the power of, a, of, a, of the gospel witness, what it does in people who really believe, working faith, hope, and love. We saw in the first half of chapter 2 how so often leaders of God's church are attacked and slandered, and Paul had to defend that and prove how, how, how really godly and pure they were when they were among the Thessalonians. You can go back and read all of those. But now he says, he's reminding them again, what happened when we came to you? So, so we're, we're looking back on the story of the church of Thessalonica. He says that we thank God constantly for this, So we praise God for something. Well, what is it? That you, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. We're going to look at number one, the receiving of God's word. Number two, the being changed by God's word. And number three, the suffering, the cost of all that. And we're looking at this in a bigger context of what does it look like? What does it look like in a people to receive the gospel? We have asked, what does the gospel do in people who receive it? How does it change them? How does it convert them into a life of purity and power and, and, and Jesus following? But tonight we're asking, what does it mean when, when you receive the gospel into a, into a people? What does that look like in the reception? 
Well, I'll again say the three points. It looks like receiving the word of God, being changed by the word of God, and suffering the cost. So number one, you see there that uh, what we just read, that when you heard the word of God, he's saying, now you heard the word of God from us apostles, from us preachers, but you did not accept it just as men's words. You received it as the word of God as it truly is. Well, I want to ask that the, the very first, and this is just so uh, entry level, but it simply has to be said. The very first question that this asks of us is, are we hearing the word of God? Paul showed that day and night, he was either, any time that you caught Paul when he was in Thessalonica, back in uh, verse 9 through 10, he was either working at the, the tent maker shop so that he could earn himself a wage, or you catch him at any other time, he's preaching, teaching, praying, discipling the Thessalonian church into existence and maturity. They had opportunity and they made, opportun- made good of the opportunity to always be hearing the gospel, the word of God preached. So even before we say, how do we respond and believe when the word is preached to us? I want to ask, are you hearing it? Are you making an effort, an intentional discipline to, whenever possible, when the word of God is being taught, I will be there, I will learn, I will be changed, I am in much need of it. Can that be said of you? Are you even hearing it? Are you, are you using, you know, there's, there's lots of encouraging ways we can do this. Uh, now in, in our culture, in our time, in our technology, we have so many opportunities that, that to not do so has no excuse. We have the Bible in, in print and so readily available, more translations than any other language before or time before has had. We have preaching available to you on, on podcasts from around the world, some of the world's greatest and deepest preachers and teachers. There are reading materials everywhere. There are apps made especially to help with devotions in and through the Word of God. For, uh, for, for us, God has opened this opportunity even that, that we can go to seminary, Bible college in our car. While you are going for a walk, while you're doing the dishes, while you're hanging out the laundry, there's a great app called Reform Theological Seminary, RTS, and it's got almost all of its courses on there, lectures for free for anyone that will go and listen. Now, that's not where we all need to start, is seminary-level lectures. But that's the spread of what is available. This is the indictment against our generation that we know so little of Scripture, but it is so available. Well, can it be said of us that we are hearing the word of God from the apostles, in the word, and then through the teachers, the preachers who God has gifted to his global church that we can learn. This is my encouragement to you. Do you hunger after it? Do you hunger after God? Do you want to grow? This is how we grow, in the word of God. For us, it is, it is spoken of as, as, as the bread of life, a lamp that gives us light a guide that shows us the way, a teacher, a coach, a mountain to stand on, a rock to be protected by, a comforter. This is all that the word is for us. You must be doing all that you can. As a Christian, if you claim to have received the gospel and been saved by this future judgment, then you will right now be being saved from ignorance. 
and current sin and unholiness by the word of God in your life. So are you hearing? Are you hearing? The Thessalonians were. But they were not just hearing. They were hearing and receiving it in a certain way. This word receive, this is all still in verse 13 when he says that they received the word and then a little bit lower it says that they accepted it. This word received means uh, the way that you might receive a tradition, you know, learn something from another generation, long held, important, old truth, it's being received and established. And the word accepting is getting at the idea of welcoming warmly as opposed to opposing the word that was coming to them, which we see so often in the book of Acts, not least in Acts 17 when Paul went to Thessalonica, as opposed to throwing it up, throwing it out, not receiving it, not accepting it. Responding to God's word in opposition brings judgment, as we will see down in verse 15 and 16. But to receive it warmly with hospitableness is to receive God himself. Let me say this. Your response to God's word is your response to God. If you are neglectful of the word, God counts that as being neglectful of him. If you are in opposition to the doctrines of the word of God, you are in opposition to God. If we are questioning the Word of God, we are questioning Him. If we are denying the Word of God, we're questioning, we're, di- we're, we're denying Him. If we disagree with the Word of God, the Bible, we're disagreeing with Him. It is so important to this relationship between us, a good, healthy, young church as Thessalonica is, it is so important to understand that how we relate to the Word of God is how we relate to God. So he says, receive the word of God warmly with reception because it is in fact, this this message we're preaching is the word of God. It's it's ringing here of of Old Testament prophets, you know, the ones who who would stand up and say things like, thus says the Lord, and they would preach God's words right from God, put in their lips. Or they would say, the word of the Lord came to me, and so they would give their prophecy, vision, or word of God. And and so it is, the apostles are New Testament, Old Testament prophets. The, The New Testament apostles are the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. And so Paul comes saying that what I preached to you was the word of God. And so God, working in you, brought you to receive it. So let us just put in our minds that really synonymous to receiving the gospel, being saved, being a Christian, is receiving the word of God, believing the Bible as the word of God, hungering after it, receiving it warmly, fully, even when it's at great cost, as we will see. So so then next he says, in the end of verse 13, this line, that you received it as the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So the second part to receiving the gospel is, number one, receiving God's word as God's word, but then also receiving God's word in a way that brings change in your life. He says, 
that this word is at work in you believers. This, this working, so, so that the word is not simply something that is intellectual. When we're compelling you to be sitting under preaching, listening to sermons, listening to podcasts. We're not encouraging simply that you fill your head with empty knowledge that puffs up, that is useless and all theoretical, but rather that you would be engaged in this spiritual activity of opening your heart to this explosive dynamite power of God's word, which is the word being used. That it would be working. Chapter 1 verse 5 used the word Romans chapter 1 verse 16 uses the word dunamis for the gospel. That that word that comes out as power or dynamite in English. In in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, the word or the gospel is spoken of as, as like a seed planted which brings forth life. And then it's spoken of in chapter 2 as as milk which brings growth in a child, a little baby. This word of God preached, understood with the Holy Spirit working through all of that is a power, a work in us. I want to ask you, do you want God to work in your life? Specifically to bring you away from sin? to bring you to walk in the will of God for your life and to use you on his mission. Are those things you want? Would you say yes to any of those? The answer, friend, is then sit under, read much, devour the word of God, either preached faithfully or printed in your Bible. The word of God is working always. Let us trust that even when feelings fail. What an encouragement that it says at that point, verse, end of verse 13, that it is at work in you who obey perfectly. That the word of God is at work in you who bring a clean slate to God. It is at work within you who are impressive to God, who have had a perfect week in the last week, who have not failed God whatsoever. No, no. No, either, either if you're an afflicted, weak, guilty Christian or, or, or you're a non-Christian, an unbeliever, someone who is far off still in your guilt, to you God is encouraging that he does not de- de- demand before he does working in your life, especially salvation and bringing you to be born again. Christians, what happened to you to make you born again, what happens in you to bring you into Christ-likeness is not that you showed your record of the week and God said that it was tremendous, impressive and perfect, sinless in obedience and then gave you some power to work and become more holy. No. No, to the unbeliever and to the believer the same, God gives grace God gives his initiating sovereign grace that says, what you need is perfection. So I will give that to you in my son. What you need is faith to believe. I give that to you by the word of God, according to Romans 10. That faith comes by hearing. What you need is spiritual power. I will give you that as you have faith and received by the word of God. God does not put high demands on us and then stand back waiting for it to be fulfilled. He requires only faith. 
Only belief, only trust and submission to his word and what he has said. And even that faith itself that you have, he gave that initially through the word of God. Our God is an amazing God. And he, to those who believe, works, gives blessing, gives grace, and brings about change. Verse 14 goes on, and here's where we see that those who receive the gospel are those who have received the word of God as the word of God in the gospel, those who are changed thereby to become more holy, putting away sin, walking after Christ. But thirdly, we see that, that to, you, to really receive the gospel, when suffering comes at you in the Christian life, you will go through it, especially when it's persecution against you for being a Christian. Those who have really, truly received the gospel by the Holy Spirit in your heart, you will push on through and suffer through that persecution without the failing and the destruction of your faith. So look at verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ, Jesus, that are in Judea. What he's meaning there is the same thing that happened to the churches in Judea, all right, those churches back in Israel, in, uh, in Jerusalem and the surrounding churches, what happened to them also happened to you later. And so he says, you, in a sense, imitated them. Maybe not because you were looking at them and copying them, but simply you have, as Gentiles, these Thessalonians, Paul is saying, you followed in the same path of faith as Jews who truly believed did. Those true churches in Judea in Christ Jesus suffered through persecution, and you're being imitators in that sense. For you suffered, verse 14 continues, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they, in Judea, did from the Jews. So he's saying what, what the, 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 the main opposers in Judea against the gospel were the Jews. And so these Jewish Christians were believing, being saved, changing, worshipping Jesus as God, spreading the gospel. And their own countrymen who were Jews, their own friends, brothers, cousins, were opposing, persecuting, killing them. Well, the same is happening over in Thessalonica. Judeans have not come to Thessalonica to persecute. Romans have not come to Judea in order to punish them for being Christians. Their own neighbors, co-workers, employers, family members are the ones who are attacking. Verse 15. These Jews, he's talking about, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and who, dis who drove us out, and displease God and oppose all mankind. Here's what he's saying here. This is, this is called Paul, Paul's polemic against the Jews, right? This is, uh, this is, it's often called that or his, his indictment against the Jews. And it really is a harsh section of Scripture, but it's not wrong. He speaks fairly and truly. It's a harsh situation given harsh language. What had happened is that he is, he's not being racist, he's a Jew. He's speaking about 
people who are in a frame of mind and a status of spirit, not a race or an ethnicity. This is not racism. This is judgment from God coming from an apostle. He says that they, these Jews who, who attacked the Judean Christians, and in fact, you'll remember in Acts 17, they were active in driving Paul and Silas and Timothy out. So he says that they drove us out in verse 15 there. These Jews have been active against the gospel. But before they did that, they killed Jesus. And before they killed Jesus, they killed the prophets. He's really saying here, similar to what Jesus said in Matthew 23. I think it'll be most helpful for you to have Matthew chapter 23 open in front of you now. Matthew 23 is Jesus' indictment against the Pharisees and scribes of the day in that generation who had been opposing Jesus up until this point. And he, in Old Testament prophet mode, he, he starts railing against them, screw, uh, teaching about their judgment that is coming. Look at verse 30 of Matthew 23. <coughs> Jesus says, he's speaking of them, the Pharisees who were always against him in his ministry. He says, you think if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Okay, these people who Jesus is teaching are saying, well, you know, I mean, there were those evil Jews who killed Isaiah and who threw Jeremiah in prison and, and did all that horrendous stuff. And, and, but if we lived back then, we'd have been different. You know, we're nothing like them. We're around today and we are the holy, true Jews of God. Well, that's common, isn't it? We all think we're better than other generations, other people. Well, verse 31, Jesus says, Therefore, you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. In other words, you think you wouldn't have murdered the prophets? That's proof that you would have murdered the prophets because the first sign of not being righteous is thinking you're more righteous than other people. So Jesus is saying to them in Matthew 23, you Pharisees who oppose me, the Son of God, I'm telling you, if you were alive in the prophet's day, you would have killed them as well. He's judging them. And he goes on. In verse 34 and 35 he says, Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. In other words, evangelists and apostles and preachers. Some of whom you will kill and crucify. That happened to the early Christians. And some of them you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. That also happened not least to the Apostle Paul. The Jews who Jesus, sorry, the Christians who Jesus sent among the Jews had that harsh treatment by the Jews. So that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel, right back in Genesis, the, children of, the child of Adam and Eve, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barachiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. That, that happened just a, a short time before, the, uh, uh, b before Jesus' time. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Here's what Jesus is saying. 
You think you're righteous, you're not. You think you wouldn't have killed the prophets, you would have. Because I'm going to send you more prophets called Christians, and you're going to kill them. And of course, at the epitome of all of this is that Jesus is among them, and they kill him, proving that they are unrighteous. Proving they would have killed the prophets, given the chance. But Jesus uses this language that all the righteous blood will be counted to you because you did the most unworthy thing, the most unrighteous thing, killing me and my messengers. So, that is what Paul is talking about in verse 15, saying that these current Jews who are opposing us, drove us out, are those ones who killed both the Lord Jesus and, as in Jesus' words, are sons of those who killed the prophets. Right? They're all in agreement, in a spiritual state. All sons of Satan. And they displease God and oppose all mankind. Verse 16, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. The great, the great tragedy of what the Jews were doing is that they were supposed to be the the fountainhead to all of the the gospel flowing to all the nations. As God promised to Abraham, I will bless you, that through you all the nations might be blessed. But instead, these Jews were shutting off themselves from receiving the blessing and stopping anyone else from receiving the blessing. So that when Jesus starts working outside of the Jews, in the Gentiles. The Jews are enraged and oppose it and try and snuff it out wherever and whenever, however they can. This is a great reversal. They were meant to be amplifiers. They were being opposers of the gospel. And this harsh way that Paul finishes, so that, as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. It says, those Jews who are doing this, opposing the gospel from going to the Gentiles, are filling up their sins. We'll look back at Matthew 23, verse 32. When Jesus said to this same generation, but years earlier, to that same generation, 17 years earlier, Jesus said, as they are opposing him, he says, you're just like your fathers who, pro- who killed the prophets. Fill up then, verse 32, fill up then the measure of your fathers. Same language as Paul. Fill up that they might fill up the measure of their sins. In other words, those who killed Isaiah, those who threw Jeremiah in prison, oh, oh they were just drawing the connections between the docks. They were just drawing the lines. But this generation of Jews who has killed Jesus and opposed the gospel in the height of its glory, uh, they are filling in the lines. They are painting in full strokes and and coloring in between. They're filling it all up. That's the analogy. Your father's just built the cup. You have filled it with iniquity and the righteous blood. And therefore, Jesus says in verse 36, Truly I say to you, All these things will come upon this generation. And he's talking about judgment. This generation will have judgment. And then Paul ends in verse 16. Wrath has come upon them at last. Here's a prophecy fulfilling in Scripture. Jesus against those those rebellious Jews. Wrath will come upon you. 
Paul, 17 years later, wrath is coming upon them. The language of chapter 2, verse 16, is that the wrath of God has come to the Jews and remains above them, kind of in a, in a rain cloud sense, that it's come over them, is falling, but will continue to fall, and the worst is yet to come. It's obvious that he's referring to, Paul, uh, he's referring to such things as uh, the, the wrath of God that was coming against the Jews in recent years. There was a great famine in Judea in the year 45, about five years before Paul's writing this. There was a riot about a year and a half earlier where, where a thousand or more, they, they say thousands in history, thousands of Jews were slaughtered in Jerusalem in the year 49. Then in, in later in the year 49, out of the city in, uh, of Rome is, is, is a decree that says, all Jews, I've had enough, leave Rome, the emperor says. And they are all cast out of the city. They're cast out of, the, of that uh, locale of, of civilization. And then eventually coming, it will be climatizing. Not yet in the time of Thessalonians is being written, but it's coming is, is the great Roman-Jewish war where Rome will march on Israel and compress it down, destroying their cities until they get to Jerusalem, which they will besiege, lay to waste and bring destruction to everything in those walls, even and especially the temple, torn down, destroyed, nothing left. Paul says, wrath has come upon them, and he may be aware of it being prophetic, or may, he may not be, but the, the temple itself is going to be destroyed. The whole, they're all going to be destroyed. Well, this is... This is what, this is, these are the people who are coming against the Thessalonians, the Jews in their area, but, but their own countrymen, these Greek Jews. Some of them would have been Jewish Jews, ethnically and uh, by their religion. But Paul is encouraging, and so should we be encouraged. That what it looks like when the gospel comes to a people and you truly receive it, you receive God's word as God's word. You are changed by God's word. And this is the pattern all over the world and all throughout the book of Acts and church history. You are oppressed and persecuted, but God sustains you through it. And the encouragement coming from Paul is that those who oppose you will receive justice in the end. Maybe even worked out in history that God, God opposes and destroys them, but if that doesn't happen, it comes at the end at last. God is just. He will not neglect his saints or the purpose of the triumph of the gospel in history as his church preaches and grows. But he does let us suffer and be persecuted at the hand of our enemies. I'm going to pray over us as we finish. Father God, I thank you for this word. This word which comes to us as Gentiles, like the Thessalonians, comes to us just like it comes to the Jews. The Word of God that brings about change in us. Our, our triune, infinite God speaks and it works within us to bring us into your likeness. God, as we walk like Jesus, we will be suffering like Jesus. We will be attacked like Jesus. But that is never to the defeat of your church. That is never to the destruction of your purposes. 
and it is always to the flourishing of the gospel in the world. God, we pray for revival and healing into the Jewish people, that you would take your gospel back there. But God, we pray especially that the gospel would flourish in Gentile lands to the glory of Jesus. That everywhere where there are still unreached people groups, that you would send your gospel, plant churches, and win for yourself more people into the church, into your bride for your great glory. We thank you, God, that you receive all races, all sinners, indiscriminate of where they are from or what they have done. As long as they, by faith, believe Jesus, then they can be forgiven. As long as we receive the gospel, then we will be made righteous and brought into your family. Lord, we glorify you, we praise you, we thank you for Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.